Episode of the NRL All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back for the weekly talk and footy episode. It's going to feel like you got two talk and footies this week because we only got last week's episode up on, on Monday because of the tech issues and everything. But this one's going to be up on time on the Friday. Uh, this week, I've actually got Tim O'Connor on board. Tim came on to one of the podcast episodes all oh, probably about five or six weeks ago. And Tim, you can find on the Supercoach Tragics podcast, which is a great page that you can find. Also, used to be on the Supercoach 360 as well. Uh, so, Tim, welcome back, mate. The second episode of the All-Stars podcast as guest. Appreciate you jumping on. No, fantastic, mate. Thanks very much for having me. No problem at all. And Tim is a, a Queenslander as well, so you get a bit of a, a north of the border flavour as well. And we do have some Broncos talk to, today to talk about as well. So it's going to work out pretty well, Tim. But big round of footy, mate. It was... Um, one of those things where I think we had a few games that really stood out for a variety of different reasons. The first thing we're going to do is just have a quick look at round 20 and a couple of the big talking points out of it. I think we may as well just start with the first game, really, the mainly the Roosters game. Uh, I kind of, it's one of those things where there was all this controversy in it and obviously the mainly Jersey saga, which I spoke about in, le- in length last week with Perso. Um, but all in all, the game came along and it ended up being a bit of a fizzle, didn't it? Because it was 20 to 10 to the Roosters. The Roosters never looked like they were really going to lose. Merely never really looked like they were going to win, but it just wasn't a very good game. The Roosters played really poor in the second half. They only had a 62% completion rate overall, which was really poor. Um, and the, obviously the Manly side had seven players in it, and some of them were 28-year-old debutantes as well. So, I mean, I think Manly tried hard. Um, the Roosters were disappointing in the second half. Uh, but it probably a shame as well that there wasn't more talk about um, the great debutants that were there. Uh, we had young Fulton debut, and obviously his grandfather, Bob Fulton, passed away. But, you know, it's great to see someone else in that Fulton family debut for Manly. You also had the other stories like Smalley and Seki debuting as well. Uh, 28-year-old debuts are always really nice to see as well. It's a lot of hard work. So probably a lot of it was overshadowed, Tim. Yeah, and that was the most disappointing thing, that the whole drama with the jerseys and everything else, I mean, it was all in the media and there's not much to talk about, not much need to talk about it. But yeah, the, the the game as a whole, like you said, was a bit of a fizz-up. Um, I really thought that the Roosters were going to do a number on them. But it, it's just amazing this season how the Roosters just seem to, oh, for want of a better words, continue to disappoint. Um, I'm not a Roosters fan and personally have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the Roosters, but... It's um, and that's more probably from the roosters from the nineties rather than um, than the roosters of today. But yeah, look, they for the brand of football that they can play, the excitement with Teddy and Manu and um, and and Kiri, well, basically most of the back line, and then Jared Weir Hargraves. There's never a dull moment when he's on the field. But yeah, look, I just I still can't work out what the hell's going on with the roosters. But something just doesn't seem quite right there. As for Manly, like you said, it was um, yeah they had a, a few debutants and. And yeah, it's always sad when they don't get the recognition or the, the notice that obviously you'd like to see from from players making their their debut, especially as older guys. It was like with Davey when he made his last year or the year before, same sort of thing. It, um, someone who's a hard worker and, and came basically from the workforce and was asked, hey, look, do you want to come play footy this weekend? And absolutely jumped at it. So yeah, look, it, it was disappointing in some respects. Um, 
Roosters obviously got the chocolates in the end, but certainly far from a convincing win. Yeah, I think for me, um, and it's probably more glass half full looking at the Roosters for me, it's a bit of, it's a negative and a positive at once. They seem to play to their opposition. And, you know, that's it's a bad thing because they should be beating manly sides like that by 30, 40 points. But at the same time, the reality is that they keep cruising along to victories, which I don't love. But when they play the good sides, they aren't getting flogged either and they seem to step up. So oh, I just think that this year they just seem to be playing towards their opposition. Um, as a Roosters fan, I'm kind of hoping that they they still they can do that in the finals because sometimes it's hard even though you've been doing it during the regular season, you step up for the big games. It's a bit harder when everyone goes up a notch and goes up a gear in the finals to actually, you know, just step up and do that when you don't have the consistency and the roll through leading in. So I'm sure that Robbo over the next five weeks of football will want them rolling into the finals and not just sort of getting the W's um, the way they did against Manly. Probably should mention too the controversy out of that Roosters game as well. We had two guys sin-binned at the end, which I thought was farcical. So I'm interested in your take. Like, I thought Egan Butcher went over and did, like, a big wrap over the top. And if you want to give a penalty, that's fine. But for that to get sin-binned, I thought was farcical. But at the same time, we've got another example here. We're in the same game. You had uh, Smalley go across and hit Verrills, who was going towards the try line, square across the jaw and knock him straight down with a swinging arm. Now, I don't want to have a go at Smalley. Like, I'm always an advocate for players where I say, look, in the speed of the game and things, players can't help these sort of things. Like, I, I, I would prefer that nobody got sinned in for that sort of stuff and it was just a penalty. But the precedent that the NRL set, like, we've seen, we've heard so many times, Tim, these words from the, the referee. It was high. It was a swinging arm. It was direct contact to the head. You're off. And, so, and that's your off as you're not even the bin. And then we get all the same sort of, you know, token criteria mentioned, and then you go on the bin, have 10. And with this one, it was just a penalty and no consideration for 10. And then in the same game, you get, obviously get the other two guys at the very end of the game, you know, a little bit of argy-bargy, and it just wasn't needed for 10. So I, I thought that was quite controversial. Am I on an island here about that? No, look, I absolutely agree, mate. And I know the last time that I was on, we were talking about similar sort of stories um, coming out of the NRL and similar issues. Look, I think, uh, like you said, you hear from the ref all the time that it, it's direct contact to the head. It was forceful. It was swinging arm. It was whatever. And it's just still like such a lottery that you just don't know what players you're going to get. And even, um, I know we talk about it later, but even with some of the, the hip drops and the cannonball tackles and everything else that's coming in, you can have two or three in the same game and not have the same outcome. Um, it's really hard to get your head around. There, there seems to be more inconsistency in the NRL with refereeing decisions this season than what there ever has. But then even just to, when they go to match review committee and go to the judiciary, so there, it just seems like there's no real logic to to some of the outcomes there either. Some get a fine and, and some get a week, some get two weeks. I, I understand there's loading and all that other kind of stuff that comes through. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to set a precedence when every week seems to be the same scenario, same situations, but different outcomes. I think the highlights of that Manly Roosters game of those guys being sin-binned, you know, it's one thing where you get seasons where penalties are just all over the place, um, but we've actually gotten to a point where it's guys being sent off. And when you have guys being sent off and sent to the bin, that is going to be very dangerous come finals time. Because at the moment, like you mentioned yourself, it's a lottery. It really is a lottery. And it's a whole old cliche, I understand. But look, 
you send a player off in a finals game, which which shouldn't be, and you're going to decide that finals game. Uh, you send a player off to the bin, you can probably decide that finals game too because they're going to get so tight at that time of year. So I'm really worried watching that Roosters game with those type of send-offs and those type of sin bins. But in saying that, you know, we had a, a Parramatta side that absolutely trounced Penrith on the scoreboard, 34-10, to 10, but that was on the back of Nathan Cleary getting sent off. Now, I sort of said during the game, I think it's um, similar to the, the Carl Lawton tackle, um, similar to the Naden tackle on Jake Trevojevic. I think they set a precedent where I, I didn't mind him being sent off. I actually didn't think it was as bad as the Lawton tackle, which, you know, some people have disagreed with me. I just didn't, I didn't think that Cleary was entirely one-on-one. And I thought that um, the defenders did come in contact and then sort of step back, which didn't help him because I think that he thought that they were there and normally that balances out the tackle. And I also thought that Lawton uh, completely went through with it and actually jumps in the air and goes down with a lot more force than what Cleary did. But, you know, there's no argument for me. The send-off, I can't argue there. What it did do, though, is it meant that we had a, a game where Parramatta had more than 60 minutes on on 12 players and initially, you know, it looked like a good a good side playing against 12. Parramatta looked like in the first half they were great. Second half, they didn't score until the 77th minute and actually lost the second half of football on 12 players. So, you know, one of those games where it was really disappointing as a league fan because you just sort of throw it away and go, well, 18 minutes in, this game's all over. And secondly, as well, as a Parramatta fan, you go, all right, well, at least we looked really good the first half. That's going to be good momentum. And then you just fizzle out in the second half and go, well, no, it's the Parramatta that we've seen for the last six weeks again, and we've got no hope in the finals if we play like this. It was really another game that was kind of ruined for both fan bases for different reasons. Yeah, look, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, Parramatta, just, I guess they're just like the Roosters in that they just look amazing one week and then the next week it's just like an absolute dire affair and you think, can I turn on maths or something else? Honey, would you like to watch some TV? It's... Uh... Um, yeah, look, they play some really good footy at stages and then look really, really poor at other stages. And, and just the fact that they don't look organised, um, it's like you start to wonder where the game plan has gone or do they have a game plan? As for the Nathan Cleary one, um, I mean, obviously, I know we're not here to talk super coach, but I was one of the unlucky ones that Captain Nathan Cleary mm. and that really cost me on the weekend. Um, cost me on points. It had it had he had a normal score, I actually would have had a really good round. Um, apart from him, I, I scored pretty well. But yeah, look, it's um, the big difference between Lawton. I agree with what you said. The fact that Lawton left the ground himself, um, whereas Nathan obviously didn't. And like you said, there was two other tacklers in Nathan Cleary's tackle, and and so yeah, whether he was thinking that if he pushed this way, the other guys were going to push that way or something along those lines. But it's obviously you, you can't argue with the end product of of how um, how Dylan Brown finished up. Uh, so yeah, look, it's I've, I've got no arguments about the situation at all. Other couple of highlights from the round: um, the Cronulla South game was was a good one. Uh, obviously, a golden point win, and. It did open up something, though, for me that was really annoying. You know, I really enjoyed the game. Uh, and, you know, it was it had a lot of great um, moments for fans. Like, Tavita Totola getting a controversial try in the 78th minute. I thought that it did touch the line. Did you think that it touched the line and was a try? Uh, I'll be completely transparent. Unfortunately, well, no, uh, yeah, unfortunately in multiple ways, I was actually at the Broncos game and uh, ah, was sitting sitting in the grandstand and missed the last half of this game of footy. Um, 
So as it was, my uh, my young bloke and I were sitting there, and I said, "Oh, mate, just uh, just turn the footy on on the phone." And at that point, the uh, bandwidth had obviously been exceeded at Suncorp, and we couldn't watch it on the phone anyway. <laughs> so, um, and then we we looked at the score and went, "Oh, you're kidding! That would have been sensational to watch." So, um, yeah, it was. I, I think we checked the score a couple of times uh, throughout the second half, or three or four times, I should say, throughout the second half, and watched the score changing. But yeah, when we looked at the the final score, I went, "Oh, wow, that would have been a cracker." The, the thing that disappoints me in, in a lot of these sorts of games is that it just becomes a, a bit of a shooting. It's like going a penalty shootout. It's almost with, with uh, round ball football that it just um, it becomes who can, who can shoot the best field goal from the furthest out or whatever. It's, again, it brings up suggestions about they need to go to Golden Troy or just play for, play for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever until someone scores a try. Yeah, but I don't like the, the field goal-a-thon. I blew up about that on Twitter, and and I'll stand by it. I've said it for a very long time, you know. And that that game's a poster child for not having golden point anymore because you had a game of football that was a really good quality game. There was some good, there was some good footy played during it. There was a few errors here and there, as you get. But we're going into golden point. We wanted more footy. We wanted to get a winner from playing footy. And we saw Latrell Mitchell miss three field goals in a row, uh, and then George Burgess gets sent off, which we're going to talk about in a minute as well. And then we're, we're looking at Nicholas Hines getting, you know, a field goal attempt from that and then putting it over and winning the game based on that in the 87th minute, seven minutes into the extra time golden, golden point period. Now, the issue that I have is that in that golden point period, we, we don't see football played. It, it's not football. So to me, it doesn't make any sense to play 80 minutes of rugby league as you see rugby league played and then have a completely different game almost played for the extra time period to determine the winner. You know, it, it's like a. You may as well play tennis for that extra time. It's just such different. It's such a different sport on the field because you're right. They're just going going through the motions, trying not to not to drop the ball, take the hit ups, get field position, and either you boot to the other end, which is the most boring set of six you'll ever find, or just try for a long range field goal. And most of the time, they miss anyway, and they've got a very low percentage chance of getting through. And the other unfortunate thing is. You know, that Burgess tackle, I'm going to unwrap a little bit more in a minute, but it was a penalty and that's fine. But unfortunately, in Golden Point, any penalty given goes a long way to deciding the game. And we have a lot of these wins that are decided by a penalty being given. Now, that's not to say the penalties aren't needed to be awarded, Tim. It's just the thing wrong with Golden Point. Something like the NFL even recognised a while back that it wasn't going to work. And the, the other team, even if a field goal's kicked, the other team has right of reply. They have right to get possession and see what they can do with that before the game's over. With the NRL, you know, it, it baffles me that we just don't, again, we don't take the easy option, the common sense option. We try and overcomplicate things. The common sense to, option to me is to play 10 minutes of football and see who's on top at the end of the 10 minutes. And if we have a draw, we have a draw. If somebody kicks a field goal and wants to win by one, that's fine. But the difference is if Nico Hines kicks that field goal in the 87th minute, we've still got three minutes of football. So South still have a chance to win that game and you won't see teams just setting up for field goals all the time. You'll see them actually playing footy and trying to win and do what they were doing for the 80 minutes before. And I really think that's what the fans would have loved to have seen. Yeah, I, I completely agree, mate. And and I bring it back. Like I play Masters football, as in round ball football, soccer. Um, and, yeah, look, it, it's the same. Like You see World Cups decided over it and everything else. It, you play your 90 minutes of football, then they go to 15 minutes each way. Uh, so it doesn't matter whether you score in those 15 minutes each way or, or not. I mean, the score could change three or four times in that period of time. 
And I think that's a much better way to play it because the quality of the game is still there. The other thing I really don't like about Golden Point is you often find the referee puts the whistle in their pocket. So I think they're too concerned that they'll give a penalty for something that might be 50-50 and then that will decide the game. So I think you find that 80 minutes get refereed one way and then you get the next 10 minutes to get get refereed completely different or the bloke might as well not even bother standing on the field. That's one thing that I massively have massive uh, reservations over the golden point with is they're basically playing two games of footy and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I'd love it to change. It doesn't seem to be something on the NRL's agenda. Uh, I, I think that it's uh, it's it's really unfortunate for both teams because it's a lucky dip. I, I really don't think it rewards the better team or the team that, that wins the game. You have more of a team that loses the game just because they didn't get possession of the ball or they maybe don't have as good a field goal kickers or whatever. It's just it's not footy. I'd love to see it gone. I'd love to see the extra 10 minutes played. But especially in depending on the context of the game too, like if it's a wet weather game or something like that, the amount of pressure on individual players then, like if off the kickoff or something like that, do a Ben Hunt type thing and drop the ball on your goal line, and then next next tackle, bang, someone slots one over, like it just, I think it destroys the individuals as well. And don't get me wrong, I, I totally understand it's an elitist sport. But the the what that does to that confidence. I mean, look at look at the the the, um, the crap that Ben Hunt has copped since the 2015 Grand Final. Like he he's it's poor, poor bloke's haunted with that for life. He could be the greatest player in the NRL, and I don't think it would matter because everyone would still come back and go, "Remember the time you lost that Grand Final because you dropped the ball off the kickoff." Um, I think it's it's just there's too much room in Golden Point for. Like we said, just playing a completely different game, different refereeing. There's there's so many variables there that come down on on very minor things that turn into major things. Yeah, and I mean we could at least throw away games like this and just enjoy it for what it is in the regular season. But when we have Golden Point in in finals time, which is only five weeks away, you know that's when it really becomes apparent that it's um a little bit short sighted, I think. But yeah. Let's talk about one other game here that you're not going to want to talk about, the one after the, <laughs> the Sharks and Souths game. Um, the Broncos stuffed up every multi I had because I didn't see any way that the Tigers were going to beat them. Tigers won pretty convincingly in the end, 32-18. to 18. They scored the first try. The Broncos came back and scored a couple in a row, and you kind of thought, okay, here we go, 12-6 Broncos. Probably score a couple before half time here and then they'll just go on with it. And then no, it was the Tigers that came back and scored three unanswered tries then. And then, you know, it was just really hard for the Broncos to get back after that. They scored three tries between the 38th minute and the 50th minute. And that really put the Broncos to bed. I think it was a game where I wonder whether that's, um, gonna, how much that's going to hurt the Broncos because they are already a little bit under strength. Um, they've obviously got Carrigan, which we're going to talk about match review committee after this topic, but they've got Carrigan out now as well. And I wonder whether, you know, you talk about those teams that maybe surprise early and peak a bit early. And then by the end of the season, they're starting to go downhill a little bit. And especially with someone like Adam Reynolds, you know, he is someone who has the wear and tear of a season on him and you're starting to see him break down a little bit. As a Broncos fan, you were there. You know, are you worried that that's starting to curb their performances of the season and, and what it's going to hold for the future, or do you think it was just a one-off and they're going to bounce back this week? Yeah, look. To be brutally honest, I think um, had we had, had Pat Carrigan not got four weeks, I would think we could shake it off and come back from that. 
Um, I've got grave concerns for the Broncos, I guess similar to like with Queensland when Ruben Cotter went down. It's the same sort of thing. It's You take a player out of a team that scores 50 to 60 tackles week in, week out, that's a lot of a lot of defence that's removed from a squad. I mean, the, the, the Broncos have been defending really well this season. They've brought in um, the... Uh, the Queensland Reds defensive coach for, for much of the season and he's helped out a lot. And um, yeah, look, I, I just, I've got real concerns for, for where we go from here, um, certainly for the next four weeks anyway. Can I mention also that just being at the game and seeing Adam Dewey play, oh my lordy, that bloke has got some skill. Unfortunately, he's been a bit wasted at the ti- uh, at the Tigers, but um, if he was playing in a good team, geez, he, he could be anything, that bloke. I love Adam Dewey, and I was going to mention him as well. He he really um, helps the Tigers stay in games, uh, and I think that he's an incredibly underrated player and someone that could fill a utility job on an origin bench very, very soon as well. Um, love him, and I thought that he performed great. And he's really, after his first game or two back, he's performed great these last two or three games. Uh, now that he's back you know, from his uh, knee injury last year and he's ready to roll, I think that he's going to have a really good finish to the season. And he's a lone bright spot for the Tigers, really, on performances. And I guess that's the other thing with this game too, Tim. You know, this was a, a Tigers side that lost Jackson Hastings to a broken leg, um, already had... Luke Brooks out, and some Tigers fans will say, well, Brooks hasn't been any good. But, you know, Jock Madden's coming in. It's it's not great um, having Madden in your halves. Farmu Brown has been the hooker lately. You know, they had Naden come back into the side for, and no for Loom is languishing, was languishing in reserve grade, and now he's over at the Storm. Like, this wasn't even a first-class West Tigers side, and even a first-class West Tigers side this year was looking at the spoon. So it, it's just, I can't fathom how the Broncos... Um, even allowed that to happen. And just even looking at the pack, you know, they've got Tulangi, who's in his first year of rookie. Safe half, they're the starting edge back rowers. Hastings was gone. And then you've got Brown, like I said. Offred and Gary and Tamau, yeah, they're okay. But, like, that's a pretty weak pack that I would have expected the Broncos pack to have been able to just run over. And just there wasn't anything of the sort. There was almost 100 missed tackles between both sides as well. So I think you would have noticed that at the ground too. It wasn't necessarily high-quality defensive effort either. No, and that's exactly right. That that was one thing that massively stood out. And that's my biggest concern now with Paddy Carrigan not playing, um, that we certainly missed our fair share of tackles. And then you take another 50, 50 to 60 tackles out of our team. And, um, yeah, look, I've, I've, mate, I'll be brutally honest. And I've been a Broncos member for 12 years and uh, and hardcore Broncos fan. But, mate, I'll be tipping roosters tonight. I think they can probably do a number on us down in Sydney. I am as well, but there's no surprise there. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> On a positive note, um, I do need to mention how positive it is to have women in the league round, which we just had as well. I do really love when we've got some positive stories to take out of it. It's a little bit of a hard one, though, because, I look, I'm not going to spend much time on it. I wish I could spend more time on it, but I have to say I, I, I'm the father of two daughters. I'm really big on the women in league round. Uh, no player has, has gone through and gotten a career in rugby league without without being helped by a woman in their life, whether that's a mum, whether that's a sister, whether that's a partner, whoever, you know, someone at the club. There was some good things done. I, I really liked seeing uh, the clubs. And certainly if you went to NRL.com, each club kept 
doing a story on different women that were involved in the club, from anyone from a, a sponsorship manager that helps with sponsorships to all the way to uh, some of the clubs looking at canteen ladies in their local district and and talking to them and, and just really putting a spotlight on them. You know, it, it's really good to see. I love it. And the NLW has grown so much. There's more participants than ever before in rugby league for the female side of the sport. But I did I did mention the manly controversy overshadowing a little bit. I thought the NRL took a bit of a back step too. So, like, I, I want to give a clap to the NRL just for doing women in league round because it's really important. But I have to say, I, I really hope that it's um, focused on a bit more next year and we have a better round than what we did this year because I think we could still grow and do a lot more uh, for women in the game being recognised in this in this particular round. But we move on. Let's talk about those match review committee charges um, because there's a few of those to talk about. And it's been heavily in the media the last week about the inconsistencies, um, but at the same time as well, you know, this is something that's been, like you mentioned, on almost every podcast we talk about the charges and things and the send-offs and the sin bins, and it is just so inconsistent. It has just been an awful year, and the NRL just keeps burying their head in the sand. I want to talk, Let's talk about Carrigan first, just because we obviously just ch- touched on that Broncos game and you were there. Um, I am going to be completely honest here. I don't know how to feel about the Carrigan tackle. Um, I find it really difficult with some of these tackles that we've labelled over the last decade to see which ones are on purpose and which ones aren't. You know, whether that's the cannonball tackles, the chicken wing tackles, the crusher tackles are the worst. 90% of those aren't even crusher tackles. But even these hip drop ones, you know, I, I find it really difficult because there are times when you can hit someone around the hip and you're trying to slide down and, you know, the weight of the tackle moves or it goes a different way. You're not going to let go. And, you know, this one looked really bad. But, you know, part of me wants to say, we've got to get that out of the game, like everyone cries about and, and everything. And I understand that it doesn't look very good and someone's got a broken leg out of it. Um, I, you don't want players purposely coming down on someone's legs or dropping backwards with their weight onto someone's legs. But at the same time, the other side of me goes, did he mean to do that? Like, did you expect him to know that the leg is there? Was he just trying to stop his momentum because the guy was still going? How did you see it as a Broncos fan? Oh, look, I'll be honest. It, it looked, it didn't look good uh, right from the minute that he did it. And and I go to the footy with my father-in-law and mother-in-law and, and my, uh, my seven-year-old son. And my father-in-law and I were having a bit of a chat about it. And, and right from the word go, it didn't look good. You could see he was going to... Um, Oh, we're certainly going to miss some time. But, yeah, look, the hardest part is, mate, when they come in for those lower ta- lower leg tackles, well, let me go back a step. I know we talked about this a few weeks ago with regards to tackles. I think the biggest problem in the NRL right now is referees are not blowing held. Um, even, like, in this particular tackle, I think the momentum was stopped or close to it, and then the referee wasn't calling held, and then the bloke still started moving his legs again. So Carrigan went in to try and stop his legs from moving. Obviously, then you've got the two blokes up on top who are, are trying to push in the direction that, that Carrigan's come from. So, I mean, he sort of becomes a bit of a um, bit of a meat in the sandwich at the bottom when the two players up top are trying to push him backwards and then Carrigan goes in there. He, he's only going to go straight over the top of, of Paddy. So he, he sort of had nowhere to go. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that makes it any better. I, just something that sort of needs to be considered. But I think had the referee called held when when momentum first stopped, then there was no need for Pat to go in there and make the tackle or, or be the third man in. There, I saw numerous ones over the weekend, and it just happens all the time. You see these offloads coming out the back of the play, 
uh, after the bloke seems to have been stopped for two or three seconds and the ref's still just standing there watching him move or not move and then the ball comes out and you go, hang on a second, how, how was that not called hell? Um, and then you see this guy, the third or fourth bloke comes in for the tackle and then they get a penalty blown against him. You go, well, it's not my fault, ref. You didn't blow hell. Yeah, it's it's. I've been the pioneer for about a decade now of calling held and controlling the ruck by the referee would fix a dozen different issues in the game. And unfortunately, the NRL has never cottoned on to it. And it is just really frustrating because to me, the, these cannonball hip drop tackles and stuff, it's you can only stop it to a degree. And then you're going to just be suspending players regardless of what you do because some of them just uh, are just tackles that go wrong and, and you just can't stop it just by suspending players because you can't deter players from doing it because to a degree, it's just part of rugby league and part of tackling. If somebody's still going forward or you haven't called held, somebody's entitled to go in. We had uh, an injury on the weekend as well, which was just a minor one, which was a second man coming in and doing the same thing, you know? So it's not even always the third man, but... If you call held, I 100% agree with you, Tim. Um, that's what they should be doing, and it, should, it, it would avoid half of these instances of even coming up. The other thing that it does as well, and this is where the NRL really does a lot of double speak, they talk about wanting to speed up the game. They talk about wanting to clean up the ruck. They've talked about wanting to clean up the wrestle. You can do all that just by calling held. You know, it huh. it doesn't benefit the attacking team to let a player try and struggle to get an extra metre and a half for an extra five seconds and have a third player have to come in and stop him getting that metre and a half while the defensive team gets set because he's well and truly held. That doesn't help the attacking team at all. If you call held and you don't have that third man in, it helps the attacking team immensely and it also makes the game a lot faster. And it also means that players can't wrestle as much, they don't have enough time to wrestle, and it also brings back fatigue into the game because you have a faster game, you can have more sets, you can have more play the balls, and it's going to put more pressure on the defensive line as well. So there is that many different things that calling held could clean up, and these type of tackles are one of them. I would say you get rid of 50% of these tackles immediately if you just actually manage the game properly. The Super League does it really well, but I've said this many times. Um, four weeks for Carrigan. I I found it hard to argue, um, but at the same time as well, we had a similar tackle at the start of the year that was five weeks. Um, so, I mean, yeah. It's it's funny because that one was referred straight to the judiciary, so it looked like it was might be a six weeker, but he got four. I was happy enough with the four. Um, I wouldn't have wanted any less. I don't think based on what occurred. How did you feel about the actual four weeks that he copped? Yeah, look, like I said, I, I, you could see straight away that he was going to get time for it. Um, when you compare it to other tackles, you, it's sort of hard to argue uh, argue against it. So yeah, obviously the. You never like to think that the amount of time uh, and a player gets injured for comes into those sorts of equations. But, yeah, look, the fact that, that it's Jackson C- Jackson Hastings' season over uh, with a broken leg, then yeah, you sort of – it does kind of justify it even more. Um, but, yeah, look, it's, a t- it's a tough call. But, yeah, I certainly think he deserved what he got. Yeah, I can't argue with it. I'd just like to see them try and understand that it's hard for players in some of those instances um, when you're allowing them to – keep momentum going in tackles and you're basically pressuring the defensive line to continue to get men in there to stop momentum and to stop a late offload, um, that the NRL could actually control that a lot better and try and limit it themselves rather than put the onus on players and just sit guys on the sideline all the time. I, th- I think that going, going with that, though, like even with the fact that, that Jackson Hastings got the, the injury out of it, I mean, that's obviously really sad for, for obvious reasons. But 
the the amount of players that are getting injured now because of similar issues. And like we just said, I think it all comes back to the referees and how they need to change it. Um, the last thing we want to see is season-ending injuries, whether that be the start of the season or the end of this season. But a lot of these players seem to be doing ACLs and PCLs and MCLs and things like that at the moment, and it just seems to keep coming back to the same thing. Yeah, it does. And look, the thing that's hard with the injuries as well is that it's a terrible injury for Hastings, and I hope he has a quick recovery and, and he comes back strong. But you know, if that isn't a broken leg, does it still get the same treatment? You know, that's that's the bits that I don't like because, you know, you might have someone that cops just as bad a tackle and it's just an ankle syndesmosis. You might have, you know, another guy that does something worse and more purposeful with seemingly more intent than Carrigan, but there isn't a broken leg out of it. So, you know, it, it just opened up a big can of worms for me. Bird just got sent off in that Sharks game um, and all but determined the winner, really. Um, I... Somewhat, you know, somewhat controversially, because there was a few people that disagreed with my take on it, but I think a lot of people actually did. I thought it was a massive overreaction to send him off, and you know, some people sort of said, well, "What's the difference? It's the end of the game. Even if he gets ten, he's still going to be off for the game." Yeah, but it's there is a difference. Like the difference is you can't get comfortable with making the wrong calls or make allowances for people to make the wrong calls just because the time's almost over anyway. You know, it's got to be the right decision. Sending him off was a terrible decision. It was absolutely abysmal. If that's a rugby league send-off, I said we should pack it in right now and just stop playing. Because to me, you can even see it, right? Like, to me, there wasn't even that much forceful contact. He came over, tried to get to a guy that was making a half break. The crook of his arm is where the impact was because he wrapped it around him. And the point of contact was actually on the ball and the ball carrying arm, and he kind of went over his head. Like, it wasn't even that forceful. It was just an impact thing with a big guy that was rolling over the top. It's 100% a penalty. Like, I would almost live with a sin bin, but I still think a sin bin was too much. I thought it was just a penalty. Um, and to actually just send him off entirely, I thought it was massive overkill, and you'll see so many worse things done on a rugby league field in the same round, let alone the same season that don't get sent off. It was just ridiculous to me. Now, anyone that wants to disagree with me, you know, that's fine. The match review committee turned around and said, you can have one week. So if a bloke's getting sent off for what's reported as taking someone's head off and they're getting one week, what does that say about the send off? Yeah, look, that's exactly right. Mate. The, the biggest problem in those sort of situations is they're then setting a precedent for it. So when somebody goes to match review committee in um, oh, to the uh, judiciary in a month's time for a similar sort of issue, and they go, "Hang on, but this bloke only got a week." Um, like we've said, there's there's no consistency there. Some blokes will get a fine, some blokes will get a week, some blokes might get three weeks. It's um, it's it just the mind boggles how you, how you get your head around it all. But bugger trying to be a lawyer, trying to argue a case to get someone off. Oh, look, that, that was a six foot five Ford, eighty five minutes into a in a row match. Chasing across to stop a winger from going through the line who's five inches shorter than him. Mm. And he's put his arm out to wrap it. Like he didn't even stiff arm him, he's wrapped the arm around. Like, honestly, the amount of football common sense in the bunker is a joke because it's not even like you, you can forgive like a referee in 1995 making calls like that because they've just got to do it on what they just saw. There's, we have, have a two-minute stoppage where the bunker reviews it off and on and tells the referee what to do after you watch it on the screens. And most fans at home get it right. For the bunker to say that's a send-off, it, it's ridiculous. JWH and Nats were the other big ones. Maria Hargraves and Nelson Asafa Solomona. <laughs> Jared Maria Hargraves put a little elbow into, um, into Fulton. I have to say that I was surprised, even as a Roosters fan. Look, 
I was surprised he wasn't missing this week. I just thought it was a one-week type of thing. And I also say that too because I don't think there was a huge amount in it, but he didn't need to do it. It was a bit silly by Jared. And at the same time, just because his name's Jared Weir Hargraves, I expected it because he always gets a little bit, you know, earned on the side of punishment rather than giving him the benefit of the doubt. He got a week. He he got a fine. Okay, and I was okay. That's fine. Like he still got cited by the match review committee. Nelson Asafa Solomona came down with force on a tackle that dislodged teeth and could have broken a jaw, and it was as purposeful to me as what Jared did. Except Jared didn't do it with the force or the nature that Naz actually did it. And Asafa Solomona didn't even get fined for it. It wasn't even an issue for anyone. And this has happened multiple times with that same player as well. So putting my Roosters hat on for a minute, you know, I've already said, Jared does anything on the field. He's lucky if he just gets fined. He's getting cited and put on report all the time. I don't know how an equivalent type of player in a software Solomon gets off scot-free all the time. It's like two different opposite ends of reputation preceding you. Um, and it's just shows again the, the inconsistency of the match review committee. But, you know, I would have been fine with Jared to get a week, but I didn't think Jared's was half as bad as Nelson's and Nelson's just fine. He can just do that every week, apparently. Well, Jared's last suspension only three weeks ago, whenever it was, that was for dissent because the ref blew the whistle and, and sent him off for 10. And he basically said, well, why the fuck do I always get in trouble for this stuff and no one else does? And that was pretty, <laughs> yeah, exactly that was right. Pretty, it was very similar words to what he said to the ref. I think that was part of the problem. He went like, mate, I'm just sick of this shit. I can't do anything right on a football field and you blacks keep sending me off. Yeah, look, I, I can't see a great deal of difference between the two. Nass, I couldn't believe it. I, like he, he was cited for two charges in the one game and got off both of them without a fine. And I thought both of them were suspendable offences. So... um He's gotten fined like three times this year too. So I don't understand the fine system. If you're getting fined a few times, I thought that meant you were meant to start to get suspended, you know, oh. because of, yeah. He must he must have some unbelievable lawyer down there in Melbourne, that's for sure. It's just, it's, it's such a bad precedent. I don't mean to keep going on about it. And I know that all the media is going on about it at the moment, which is nice because it's good that everyone's getting on the same page finally, that the NRL has been terrible this year with how they're calling things inconsistently. But like for them to say... Things like a, a Burgess is a send-off because it's, you know, contact with the head and it's dangerous and we've got to protect our players and all this stuff. And But an elbow, a dislodging teeth and almost breaking a jaw to the face is fine. And, you know, the week before, we've got a duty of care that a, a tackler in Finucan has to show when he's running towards a player to put on a, a hit that's actually a legal hit, you know, and there's a head clash. But he's got a duty of care, apparently. Where's the duty of care for Naz putting his elbow there and coming down on the face of a player that he's looking square at? It's just, it's just a shambles. It, it was a bad tackle. Like it, 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 it wasn't a good look for the game whatsoever. It, um, and it just looked blatant. It looked dirty. It looked premeditated. It was, it wasn't a nice one. Here is the thing: Luke Patton has come out with this, and honestly has supported him to say that the um the contact with the the head was minimal, like. Two of his teeth got knocked out by an elbow. Yeah. How can it I don't understand how we can talk about head contact the way we do in the NRL and then do all this double speak to say, oh yeah, he didn't really get him in the head much. He just had two teeth knocked out and the elbow came flush down on his face. Like seriously. Yeah. It is it is unbelievable. And we need to get off the topic because I'm just going to explode here. <laughs> Nathan Cleary got got sent off as well. 
um, and he got his um, five weeks. And it's important for people to note too that one of those weeks was because he'd already had a prior offence this season. So Slates did get wiped clean, but he had another one this season. So that pulled it from four weeks to five weeks on the grading. Hard to argue with it. Um, I think it's it's pretty fair. I kind of thought it wasn't quite as bad as the Lawton and the other and the um, Naden one, like I said. But they got four weeks. So I sort of thought, oh, it's probably in the ballpark. Force fine, five with the loading. I don't think anyone can argue about it, Tim. But do you think that Penrith are really going to struggle going into the finals, playing all these games without those guys, and then trying to get them acclimated back into the team for week one of the finals five weeks later? I think if it was just about any other club, I think they would struggle. I think the fact that they've played so much rep footy and so many players in and out throughout the last two seasons because of rep footy, I think they're a team that that probably will go okay. Sean O'Sullivan is no slouch. He seems to play really good football when he comes in. I think the only thing that may hurt them is the fact that that Luai and Cleary are both out. So... Yeah, look, I think maybe over the next, between now and when Cleary comes back, that might be a bit of an issue. But I think as soon as Cleary and Luai are back fit again, I, I could see them just continue to fire. Um, with that, I, there's sort of players in their team that, I mean, I guess going back to Supercoach, like I'm not I'm not playing Tylan May this week because it, not only is he being down when Cleary and Luai are there, but you take those guys out of it and I, I'm sort of a little bit hesitant but I think those are the sorts of things that will change the team a little bit. But I can't see, with the amount of time that, that Cleary and Luai have spent out of the team over the last two years, I, I don't see it affecting them too much when they come straight back. I think they'll just fit in seamlessly. Yeah, I think they still deserve to be um, favourites. Yeah, still premiership favourites. But at the same time, I do think that it opens up over the next five weeks to them um, copying a few losses. Uh, and I know I've seen a lot of people and a lot of the media also say, They've done really well before when when their halves have been out or over Origin and whatever. The big difference is that it's it's really easy for an O'Sullivan to come in and look good for one game, and then to come back a few weeks later and look good for a one game. Spot starts are great for players, um, and it's great for their confidence as well, and great for their development. What is a lot harder is to do it the next week, the week after, the week after, the week after. Five weeks. Um, that's that's a tough slog for two halves that aren't your halves to be able to perform at the level that they've shown in the past. Um, so I just think that they're, they're going to struggle a little bit. Um, and thankfully, it's not a cleary injury like last year where he's just got a suspension and he's going to come in. Um, and by all reports, Luai will be back. So I'll be worried about them in finals time. I, I do think it takes a little bit off them, though. And I do think they'll, they'll lose some regular season games now that maybe they weren't going to before. Uh, but it, it's good for the other teams because I think it does really open up a bit of hope because I don't think there was much premiership hope outside of Penrith uh, with the other seven teams really before this, but maybe this gives them a little bit of a, a drive and it lets them beat them um, going into the finals as well. Someone like Canberra, you know, if Canberra get eight spot and they win this weekend against Penrith, which I think they might, you know, that's that's a really good um, mental thing for them going into the next matchup in the finals to say, we just beat them a month ago. We can do this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, the gap of six points between Panthers and the Cowboys, I think, had that been four points, I think that would make things a little bit more interesting. I could see, um, especially with the draw that the Cowboys have got for the last five weeks, um, I could see maybe an upset and maybe the Cowboys finish top of the table of the uh, the regular season. But I think just that six-point gap is probably too big to to jump. I mm. think surely surely Panthers can win two of the next five. Um and the four and so, against is yeah. really strong too. 
Um, so even if and that's exactly right. even if the cows can catch them on even points, or even one of the other teams win all five or something, you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna matter. And the four and against is just too strong for Penrith. And they look, they probably deserve to be first and get the minor premiership anyway. To be honest, welcome to another episode of the NRL All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back for the weekly talk and footy episode. It's gonna feel like you got two talk and footies this week because we only got last week's episode up on on Monday because of the tech issues and everything. But this one's gonna be. Up on time on the Friday uh, this week, I've actually got Tim O'Connor on board. Tim came on to one of the podcast episodes oh, probably about five or six weeks ago. And Tim, you can find on the Supercoach Tragics podcast, which is a great page that you can find. Also used to be on the uh, NRL 360. Uh, which one, Tim? <laughs> NRL th- Supercoach 360 as well. Um, so, Tim, welcome back, mate. The second episode of the All-Stars podcast as guest. Appreciate you jumping on. No problem at all, and Timmy's a, a Queenslander as well, so you get a bit of a, a north of the border as well. So it's going to work out pretty well, Tim. But big round of footy, mate. It was um, one of those things where I think we had a few games that really stood out for a variety of different reasons. The first thing we're going to do is just have a quick look at round 20. In the couple- Let's talk about Clemmer and the Knights, though, because that's the other big deal this week and the big talking about the last two days especially. And I have to say, like, I'm... I'm kind of surprised. I'm in the minority a little bit on this. Um, I sort of think that people are kind of changing the subject a lot. Like, Clemmer, by all reports, what he's done is he's been asked to come off three different times. Uh, He's said no. He's given the trainer a spray and swore at him and whatever. And look, there's people like Corey Parker who I, I could barely watch Corey Parker talking about an era of 360 because I could not think that he was any, he could be any wronger about it. He basically said, oh, well, you know, he's an alpha front rower. He wants to lead his team. He wants to keep playing. They're, you know, so what? Um, you know, he should be entitled to. So what are you saying there, Corey? You know, should every front rower just be able to make their own substitutions during the game? Why don't we just let every player make their own substitutions? Forget the coaching stuff. You guys figure it out, you know. I'm sure that it's got nothing to do with game plan or needing to get guys off the bench onto the field or anything like that. You know, you guys just go for your life. Why not put all your subs in the hands of front rowers? Clemmer's never been an 80-minute player in his life. He's obviously got to come off. And to me... He did the wrong thing. <laughs> like I, I, I don't understand all these people that are sort of defending him, saying, "Yeah, but the Knights are crap. O'Brien's doing a terrible job. You know, they need Clemmer as their best forward." All that stuff is true, but to me, it's got nothing to do with Clemmer refusing to come off the field or being entitled to not come off or make his own subs whenever he wants. Like he's done the wrong thing. Now we can all argue over the punishment. You know, I, I actually think that it's fair to drop him for a game because one of the things that has been rumoured to be wrong with the Knights all season is that they haven't been hard enough. There's too many guys that aren't following instructions. There's too many guys that aren't doing what they're told. At the end of the day, you know, the coach and the coaching staff are the ones in charge. The players need to run the game plan and run what they're told. And Clemmer, by all accounts, hasn't been doing that all year. Um, And that's just by all reports, but also if you watch a game. If you want to put a line in the sand, you know, you, you have to have discipline in your side and you can't have players not listening to the coach and not listening to the coaching staff. So I would have actually left him out of the side this week as well. Now, I would never have sent him a letter, though, <laughs> to, you know, as a please explain or to sack him. You know, if he was sacked, it would be outrageous, you know, and I 100% agree with that. 100% agree Aaron, Adam O'Brien's done a bad job. 100% the Knights look terrible. They need changes. 100% Clemmers look great. But to me, none of that excuses allowing a player to do what Clemmer did and not expect any repercussions or that you're allowed to act like that. 
Yeah, absolutely, mate. I'm, I'm a high school teacher, and if I had a student behaving the same way, I would be doing everything possible to get them out of my room for, for a day or a lesson or might sit out for a week, especially teaching a practical subject. And, look, being completely honest, it's um, it's much the same thing as, as arguing with the with the boss at work or, um, yeah, look, it's, I, I don't get it. I, I think any time that a player refuses, especially, like you said, on three separate occasions that, Mate, I'm not coming off. I'm staying on. It's it's my team. I, I don't care what the excuse is. You can be beaten beaten by five. You could be beaten by fifty. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the coach is the boss. If he tells you to get off the pitch, then you've got to get off the pitch. Um, you want to jump up and down, yell and scream, or throw your toys out of the cot? That's up to you. But then you've got to cop it on the chin when the boss says, "Well, mate, I, I gave you instruction. You defied it. So we don't want you on the team for this week." Yeah, that's right. And I'm, I look, I'm sure he'll be back next week. But the the thing is that. You have to, if you're going to support Clemmer doing that sort of stuff, then that means every player can do it. And you just can't have that. You can't every play, have every player not doing what the coach is instructing or not doing what the coaching staff is instructing and not coming from the field when you need them to. And the other thing too is that it, the, the shoot-on effect is if you've got a Daniel Saifidi, former Origin prop from last year, sitting on the bench, or, or Jacob Saifidi I think was on the bench, if he's the guy that's meant to be coming on, You'd have the shits hardcore, wouldn't you? And how how does that go for team morale? You know, Saifidi's sitting there going, all right, I'm going to get my 18-minute my stint at the end of the game. I'm ready to rip in. I've had my rest. And you don't get a go because Clemmer doesn't want to come off. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. It's not going to be good for that team at all. And, I mean, people have brought up the, the Storm and Bellamy. Maybe Bellamy would have handled it differently, but I think that Corey Parker and a few of the other media pundits are absolutely kidding themselves if they think that anybody did that to Craig Bellamy at the Storm and they were just going to get away with it, Scott Free will be able to. I have absolutely no issue with, with the Knights disciplining Clemmer. I think it would be ridiculous if they tried to sack him, obviously, and I agree with that. It's overstepping the mark hugely, but you just you, you can't have that. And I'm surprised at the amount of ex-players that are coming to the defence of, of Clemmer, you know, refusing. They've all brought up, Tim, as well, you know, this point that, oh, you know, players never want to come off and you, you find this all the time and whatever. That's fine, you know, and I get it. You know, I understand and I understand where Clemmer's coming from. But at the end of the day, all those, you know, situations that James Graham and so forth are talking about, those players did come off, though. They might be disgruntled. They might want to stay on. They might say, oh, come on, mate, F off, let me stay on. But they do come off when they're told they have to, right? Yeah, it's exactly right, mate. Like I said, it, it, it comes back to you're going to tell your boss to F off at work. Um, you won't have a job come Monday. So, look, I'm not convinced there's not a bit of backdoor politics going on there as well. Um, I think it's interesting that, that before the game or the week before the game, he, he's asked for a release. Um, and then this has sort of been the outcome. So it's almost as if he sort of said, oh, screw the rest of you. I'm just going to do it on my own. And if you don't like it, I'll just bugger off and go somewhere else that, that will give me the minutes that I want or whatever it is. So I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's got anything to do with the, the consequence for the actions as well. And, and maybe even, even with that, that's deserved. Um, he can't throw his toys out of the cot, that's for sure. Yeah, I know. I 100% agree with that. And look, it's going to be interesting how it unravels because I will say 100% that I am not supporting uh, Brian's coaching record this year, I'm not supporting how the Knights are going, and I think they've got a lot of problems there. And I think Clemmer has done a lot of good things for them, but but that doesn't excuse, you know, players like Clemmer refusing three times not to come off the field and thinking they can tell the coaches what to do. Legend rewind. We're going to finish with something positive here. Queensland legend, Broncos legend, one club player, Alfie Langer. I know that he is one of your all-time favourites, Tim, so I'm going to hand over to you. Tell me all your great memories about Alfie and him as a player from your point of view. 
Oh, mate, he, he is by far and away uh, my favourite player of all time. I'm uh, I'm only a little bloke. I'm 65 kilos on a fat day after breakfast before the bathroom. Um, <laughs> so when, it, when growing up, I had an older brother who wasn't much bigger than me, but um, whenever we were playing footy in the backyard, I was always Alfie and he was Ricky Stewart. Um, he loves Canberra and I love the Broncos. So it's been a... It's been an interesting tussle for us at home for for our entire lives. Um, But, yeah, look, Alfie, my honest opinion, I still think Alfie's the best halfback that's played the game. Um, I know that's controversial. I knew this would get spicy. Oh, mate, it's... Uh, I can't stand it. Uh, I've got my own personal opinions on Andrew Johns and the uh, immortal status and everything else, and everyone goes on about how good Andrew Johns was. Oh, geez. Go and have a look at some of the highlight reels from Alfie through Origin, Club Land, Plan for Australia. Like, look at the halfbacks that he was beating to the representative teams at the time um, and the calibre that they were. It says a lot about how good Alfie Langer was. The whole thing, how we got him back from England to uh, to come back and play Origin. Um, the interesting thing was I've heard a lot of podcasts and I've done a lot of reading since it all happened and, and growing up with all of uh, the whole thing with him coming over from England. Apparently there was only three people on the planet that knew that it was on. Um, so they just figured that if they let anybody else know, then then it was I could it'd be out of the bag. But the fact that he just turned up at the stadium, put on the jersey and ran out on the field and everyone went, what the hell's going on here? Shows you how much of an amazing player he was and how much of a difference he made to that team. Um, just the team morale, I think, whether or not he played good or bad, I don't think it would have mattered. The fact that he came back and everyone just went, this is amazing. Um, it was a fairy tale written before, um, yeah, before his, his career finished. Yeah, that origin try that he scored in that where he um, throws his arms over his head and just reaches out on his back to score that try. That's a real iconic origin moment, um, not just for Queensland, but for state of origin in general. That's one that I'll always remember as well. Um, but as far as the great halfbacks, I mean, I, I do think that he deserves to be mentioned up there. Uh, I, I'm not someone who's going to – I'm going to talk glowingly about him because I think that he deserves it. But at the same time, for me, Andrew Johns uh, was better. Um, but, you know, I don't want to antagonise you Queenslanders too much. Um, it's not a Queensland New South Wales thing for me whenever I talk about players – um, I did think that um, his contemporaries, you know, Mortimer came along before him and finished, Sturlow the same pretty much. Uh, those guys were sort of handing the torch over and I think were as good at least as what he was. Um, him and Ricky Stewart had some great battles and that's what I remember too. They actually took each other's Australian jerseys off themselves uh, multiple times. Um, Langer was actually used off the bench at one point in um, in the Kangaroos tour as a um, replacement hooker because um, he lost his job and then he got it back again. So, you know, there was great tussles between those guys. There was some really good halves around that time. Some of his numbers, though, you know, he's got premierships in 92 and 93, back-to-back, and then he did back-to-back again in 97, 98. Four premierships there, which is pretty crazy um, to do both back-to-back. Uh, and that 92, 93, they actually went to the grand final in 91 as well and lost to the Dragons. So he had the three in a row there. Um, Kangaroo Tours had two. Uh, actually, Captain Australia a couple of times, which a lot of people don't remember. But that ninety, yeah, that ninety-two grand final, he actually won the Rothmans medal as well for the best player on the field. Um, Dally M medal ninety-six, few years a halfback of the year awards. Clive Churchill medal in ninety-two as well. Uh, he had four hundred fifty-seven first-class games, which I think um, goes into talking about the sort of player that he was. He scored one hundred and sixty tries in those first-class games, so he had a pretty good running three strike rate. 
But, you know, playing that many games, including not just for the Broncos in Australia and in Origin, but also over in England, he played a few seasons. It's just, it's remarkable because coming into the league, he couldn't get a job with Wayne Bennett because Wayne Bennett thought he was too small. He was the size of a jockey. uh, And then he just, he performed so strongly in the trials that there was just no way Wayne could let him out. But you would think even with him coming in and performing, you kind of go, there's no way that this Langer kid is going to be able to last a couple of seasons, let alone 457 first-class games across his career. You know, that's just unbelievable at his size. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's And even just the way the way that he tackled and things like that, he wasn't a speed bump. Um, like, he, he always threw himself into everything. And I think that was the most... The thing that I love most about him, but not only that, just the whole revolution of the uh, like the chip and chase, and you see so much. Uh, well, the the thing I do like now with Adam Reynolds being back at the Broncos and uh, and bringing that short kicking game back into the club is just um, you you go to live games and you watch it, and it's it's like Alfie's back out there kicking the ball, not just running the water. Um, it's it's a pleasure to watch, that's for sure. Brings back a lot of good memories as a little kid growing up and, like I said, playing football against my older brother in the backyard. The sort of player that he was, his style, um, I think that the couple of things that stick out for me is he was so he was so fast. You know, he could make some some really incisive runs and you sort of expect that from his size, but um, you'd think that he'd get belted a lot more than what he did. He was a tough little bugger. But the other big thing too for me, Tim, was um, a real highlight was his short-kicking game. He had one of the best short-kicking games of the year, for sure, whether it was his grubbers going through or even his chips. Um, his his short-kicking game was a big memory for me, along with his speed and how he could incisively run through the line with that um, burst of speed that he had. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it's a, it's the same sort of thing that coming back to Adam Reynolds, it's um, just the, the style of play. Um, yeah, I, I love it. It's um, he's definitely my favourite player of all time. Uh, I've got a couple of auto. I've got his autograph on a jersey. Uh, I've got his autograph on a hat and autograph on a football, and they're sitting nicely in my uh, pool room at home. <laughs> but, um, I've I've met him. He's a nice bloke. Um, the fact that the other thing I like about him is, I mean, he hasn't gone the commentator's way like a lot of the other players, uh, ex players who've who've obviously uh, been some of the greats have gone. The fact that he's putting back into rugby league all the time, like it, it's constant. It's uh, he's in with Queensland. He still does stuff with the Kangaroos. It's uh, I think that's admirable as well. Whether or not that's because it's the only thing he knows how to do, I don't know because I I don't know him personally on that level. But um, you talk to any of the players, they love being around him. He's a character. He's great on the piss and everything else. Like that's that's all a, a whole other thing on its own. But just the fact that he's still in and around rugby league and just still giving 100% back, it's, um, I think that's what makes him pretty special as well. Yeah, he, he really is a personality. He was a character in the game. And you could tell how much he loved footy. Um, and it was really admirable too. When he actually retired, one of the things that he said is not just that he sort of fell out of love with the game, but he didn't think that he could put in enough to not let his teammates down. And his teammates were the most important people in the world to him. And he didn't want to disappoint any of them. So he would rather just step down than than disappoint anyone, um, which is great, you know, and he obviously stayed on board, like you said, and decided to be a trainer um, because that's just how much he loved the game. Um, He had some massive years, especially in the early nineties, some of the accolades where he won every major award, you know, it, it can't get unnoticed when he's, Listed at, you know, people know he's small, but he's listed at five foot five and 76 kilos. Uh, it, it is truly remarkable how long a career he had and how good and effective he was as a little general with a top of the line kicking game for that era, one of the best and probably the best short kicking game I've seen. 
Um, so Alan Langer, what a career. Great to talk about it with you, someone who is one of his all-time fans. Tim, thanks for jumping on the podcast and chatting footy with me, mate. It's um, always a pleasure to get you on board. Fantastic, mate. Thank you very much for having me. It's always uh, always good to talk footy with other good blokes and uh, like-minded people, mate. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, love being here. No worries, mate. You can, you can see Tim on some of the Supercoach Tragics podcasts. You can jump on that page and have a look at it as well. But certainly for this one, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Audible, Amazon. You can also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Jump on the sponsor of the podcast, topsport.com.au. Some of the best odds in market, and you can create an account today with the promo code SC All Stars, all one word. They'll take great care of you. That's another Talk and Footy episode. On Tuesday, we'll have TLT for Supercoach. Enjoy the weekend of footy. Up the roosters for tonight, hopefully over the Broncos. I look forward to chatting to Tim about that next week and chatting to all of you lovely people again next week about Supercoach and footy. Hey now, you're an all-star.